And now, on today's program... Let's see where it takes us today. Roger that. And welcome aboard. Capturing this millisecond. It's a fraction of a second. It's the only thing interesting. Welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. I'm your host Jens Krauer and today we have two guests and a very essential topic when it comes to being photographers, especially successful photographers. However you define success as a photographer, it most likely involves creativity in some way or another. So that could already be the first talking point amongst today's guests. We will discuss creativity in photography and the relevance of creativity to photography and photography itself. Here with us to talk about it are two very creative photographers and human beings. Welcome to the Fujilove podcast, Karen Houghton and Dan Bailey. How are you guys? We're great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. We're awesome. Yeah. Hi, guys. Because Jens, it's the end of the day for you. Dan, you're behind me and it's the beginning of a gorgeous day here. So I'm always behind you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's talk about creativity. I think... Um, if anybody listening wonders, me and Dan had a long conversation a few episodes ago that went deep into that kind of subject. And that's where the idea was actually born that we should involve Karen, as I've seen a keynote of Karen about creativity and photography. And I thought you two guys were the perfect uh, sparring partners to go deep into that subject. <laughs> you have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> So usually I ask everybody in the beginning of the podcast, uh, who are you? But in this case, I would like to ask both of you, what role does creativity play in your lives? Let's go ladies first, Karen. What about you? Well, I mean, I don't know how to do it without creativity. I don't know what that's like. So what role does it play? <laughs> what role does that mean that it plays if... Um, if every minute of every day is just creative. Like, I don't mean that every, I don't mean every minute of every day is creative in the sense that, oh my God, I'm being creative. I'm just so artistic and wonderful. I just mean that apparently from talking to other people, um, I don't necessarily approach life like other people. I hear that. Do I know that? I don't know, because I only know how to do what I do, which apparently is fairly creative as in different and not the norm. So I, I, I think the way that I would think about this is, um, so I have a lot of friends who, you know, if they don't exercise on a, on a regular basis, they get all, they're like, oh man, I didn't get to exercise today. And they you know, get all stressed out. And, you know, they, they, they kind of live for that one moment of exercising or that one period of time where they get to exercise every day, kind of, you know, resets them and, and kind of calibrates their system and their mental faculties. Uh, I think I'm that way with creativity. You know, I, I love riding my bike if I love, you know, hiking and stuff. But if I miss a day, I'm okay with that. But if I if I go through the day and I don't do something creative, I think that I get a little, I feel like I've missed out on the day on something. So whether it's playing music or writing, writing a really cool blog post or, or doing some creative writing or even tr making a feeble attempt to sketch or draw something, uh, or playing guitar, trying to write music, it, it sort of doesn't matter. So I, I think that I'm driven by my creative pursuits as more than anything else in my life, or as much as. So here's the thing about creativity that I think about a lot, which is, is creativity a pursuit as in photography, you know, drawing or whatever, or is it a mindset that lends your, lends 
you to approach life itself, the decisions you make, um, what you do with your hair, how you dress. I mean, just everyday stuff and, and the work that you choose to do and the route you choose to drive to get to the market and all that, you know, does it, is creativity and artisticness life, you know, is it, um, living your life as an art or is it pursuing specific endeavors that could be considered to be creative? I'm just throwing it out there. I think it runs a really wide gamut because on a, on a kind of face, a base level, the concept of creativity is, is making or doing something and bringing some, bringing something into existence into the world, whether it's a tangible object or whether it's a, an intangible thing like a song or a poem that never before existed. And, and so, you know, we humans are the only people, the only things on the earth can do that. You know, certain animals will use tools and that certainly encompasses a level of creativity. You know, they, a raven will, you know, hey, I'm going to try to use this stick to get these bugs out of the, the, the hole in the ground here. But we humans, we have this amazing capacity to create things that have never before existed on the planet. And to me, that's one of the most amazing things that you can even think about. And so on a daily basis, I think everyone kind of applies creativity to help define their own lives. Like, you know, different, you know, someone's going to wear a different hairstyle or someone's going to try a new recipe today, or someone's going to try to write something or write a song that never existed to, to kind of, you know, match the feelings that they have that on the day. And I think that's, that's a large part of it is, is people developed their creative pursuits to communicate ideas that they had about the world. And that's kind of how it carries through with, with art and photography. You know, there's an interesting, um, two interesting things I, I wanted to mention. Um, one related to creating, you know, new things. There's a, it's on Netflix now, which is going to make this, you could probably look it up for years to come. So that doesn't make this not evergreen, but there's a, a show that National Geographic has made. It's on Netflix right now called One Strange Rock. I've seen that. Yeah. Narrated by Will Smith. It is phenomenal, even considering this conversation about creativity, but creating life and how life happens from the earth perspective is um, really fascinating. And I really love how they talk about it. And I'm as you were talking, Dan, I was thinking about that program especially related to creating life and how we create life and how we create new life on this planet because humans aren't really the only ones that do that. But the other is a talk that Seth Godin gave to a group called Craft and Commerce called um, Your Job is to Make Art. Now, Craft and Commerce, those people, I believe, I think they're marketers. They're not artists per se, I think they might be um, marketing related, but he has this whole thing that he, the, the way that he conveys the difference between creating art and being a copyist. So he has this, he has a whole thing he talks about, and it's really interesting. You just got to go to YouTube and go Seth Godin, Craft and Commerce. I believe it was 2018, and it's out there, easy to watch. It's not that long, and it's really entertaining, and it is so interesting because I love hearing these conversations from different points of view. And he, of course, Seth Godin has a way of saying things that is very unique. So, yeah, he's, uh, I've, I follow his, I follow his uh, blog or he, he's the only, 
he's the only person or email thing that I actually decided to subscribe to. Everything else just sort of comes in, but. Well, this, this talk is really good. And he, and he goes into the difference between, um, like I say, being an artist and not why we need to, why we need more artists, you know, original thought and so on. And how, when you're not doing that, you're being a copyist, um, since this is a photography podcast, he makes the association of, you know, you're an artist or you're a plumber. So he takes it as far as saying that if you're a copyist and not doing something original, you're a plumber. And my partner in retreats owns her own hotel, you know, Patty Baird of Sport Hotel. And so she, she saw it and she goes, you know, she goes, I take umbrage at plumber. She goes, I love plumbers and they're very creative and I can't, I can't run my business without plumbers. So she goes, so I'm not so down with that. I, she goes, I get what he's after. And I said, okay, cause we were in Italy on our retreat and we had all of us there. And I said, okay, let's come up with a new term. So we decided that the photography, um, version of a copyist slash plumber would be a traffic cam. So do you want to be oh, an yeah. artist? Do you want to be a traffic cam? And we all yeah. went, ooh, ooh, ouch. <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting point. I like what you guys brought up about uh, the whole aspect of animals and nature. And I think we're all creative. I think nature is creative in itself as a whole, probably the most creative thing we have on the planet. But I think what differentiates us is we are able to self-reflect and self-express, which is something that nature doesn't do. So the humans are the ones that actually can go and say, I want to communicate this to the world deliberately. And this is kind of something that only we do. Isn't it interesting, though, that, um, you know, there's a lot of science around awe now, A-W-E, awe. There's tremendous science being done um, to quantify as opposed to like, I was in awe and then have everybody go, that's kind of woo woo, right? So they're actually putting science and numbers and quantifiable results to the state of awe, what causes it, um, what it does to human beings. And, and the most obvious place to experience this, which is a, it's a transformational shift. It's a sense of, you know, being in a place and being in a space that's like bigger and more um, majestic and amazing than you. But and the easiest place is in nature, and it, but it doesn't have to be limited to that because you can seek awe in so many ways, and that's a healthy thing because it it helps your um, immune system, and, and they've quantified all this. It's amazing, but it it helps your immune system, it helps your heart, your breathing, your circulatory, your blood pressure, your mental capacity, the way the brain works and fires, and all this kind of stuff. But where we most easily and obviously experience this is out in nature, um, being in the state that nature provides, especially in forests, you know, forest bathing. Those of you who haven't re read that book um, by, I can't remember his name, I could look it up if you want, but forest bathing is one where you're literally transported to another. So I wonder, so my point in saying all this is I wonder you know, we sit here and say, oh, we humans are so, oh my God, we're so amazing. I'm going to go in the back and make out with myself. But really, I, you know, we depend on other beings and other forms of life to help transport us to some of these exalted places. And, um, and I think sometimes it's a little self-aggrandizing to say, oh my God, we're just the only ones who can do this amazing thing because maybe we just don't have the eyes to see. True. I would say that we are probably not the only beings on the planet that are capable of self-reflection. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have the, the most complex brains of anybody, but I, 
I think there are some other animals that are that have achieved some kind of consciousness or or near consciousness, as the way we think about it. I think elephants are that way. I think I think I think you're right. And I just recently uh, actually read an article about uh, that chimpanzees are developing and they're picking up uh, things like you know writing and recognizing images and communicating through tools. So maybe it's just a matter of time and development. And yes, you're right. We're definitely not the only ones self-reflecting. Well, and isn't it interesting that we we say, oh, well, they must be advancing because they have the capacity to come to our side. Whose side do we ever go on? Well, yeah, we have an interesting uh, development in, in terms of our brains. We, we, we're able to adapt to our situation more than any other creature in some ways, which is why we've been allowed to or allowed or whatever. We've, we've, we've been able to, you know, populize and colonize the whole planet uh, and form societies. But you're right. There, there are elements that we – there are things that we definitely lack on, on a major level. And our brains and, and our ability to to interact and communicate with other creatures. Well, maybe you're right, Ken. Maybe if we learn uh, how chimpanzees communicate, it's probably a deeper way of communication we don't know. But for us, probably the, the first logical thing is to try to teach them our language, quote, quote, our language. How, yeah. how grandiose is that? I mean, I was a horse trainer for 45 years. And the one thing I mean, just take that. I mean, I've did a lot of other things that taught me this this very lesson in a, in about a thousand different ways. But with horses, people say who don't know horses or don't know animals or or think in this oh my god, I'm so amazing way about humanity. They go, oh, horses are stupid. I'm like, actually, <laughs> no, well, not. I know we know that, but a lot of people yeah. do. So they're they're dumb. But stupid people don't. They're know not that. as intelligent. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because they can't drive cars into walls. Wow. <laughs> That's really separating yourself, isn't it? Um, and what I learned about horses is they communicate in a completely different way that if we have, as humans actually learned how to do that, we'd be a lot better off. And, you know, they have oh, tremendous yeah. capacities that even people who work with horses sometimes don't even stumble upon. Um, so that's just talking about horses. So it just makes you go, you know, rein it back there, Seabiscuit. You might not be as smart as you think you are. Um, maybe there's a lot more going on here than you realize. You just don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. So maybe you ought to shut up and listen. That's how I feel. Not about you guys specifically and not about anybody specifically. I'm just saying I often. But everybody else. Everybody else. <laughs> everybody, else who's not everybody else who's not listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I, get a, you know, I get a little soapboxy about it because, yeah. I mean, I got to say, I'm just a little sick and tired of hearing people be such you know, self-professed experts when their lack of knowledge and understanding about nature and the world and a lot of other things that reside in it are just so painfully obvious except to everyone except them. Right. And yet they're the ones that are mouthing off. So I'm, I don't know. <laughs> just... so, I, so I want to go back to um, something you were talking about. You, you had mentioned that uh, one, uh, one crap, I can't remember the name of it. One one giant rock. Oh, um, one strange rock. Yeah, one strange rock. Uh, that was on Alaska Airlines uh, media last year, so I used to watch it when I flew back back and forth from Anchorage quite a bit. And uh, I I loved that show. But there was one specific thing about uh, human brain development that that really intrigued me and and made me think about photography on a very specific level. So as you know, we're trying to figure out. You know, they were asking. You know, when when did humans? How did our brains and our eyes develop so so much, or especially our brains? 
you know, what, what was this big advancement in our brains that, that, you know, pushed us towards an, an entirely new level of intelligence. And one of the things that they were touching on was when we came out of the trees and walked out into the open grasslands, you know, we suddenly went into an enormously more complex visual environment. And there was so much more visual information to process for a human who's, who's, you know, trying to survive and navigate and find food and find mates and find dates and, and, uh, find places to, you know, sleep and bathe and, and do whatever. And with this enormous complex environment, it required a whole new level of brain, a whole new level of visual brain power to process everything that they're seeing every moment of their lives now. And so the, the amount of visual information that was greatly increased kind of required and coincided with this huge jump in brains. And so that got me thinking, maybe that's one of the reasons that we humans are so, we human photographer people are so intrigued by landscape photography, because it kind of goes back to that period of time where we, our brains developed looking at the landscape. Maybe there's a kind of an intrinsic human intelligence visual quality about us in our his, our own DNA and history that makes us, you know, makes us attractive to the notion of, of seeing and shooting landscapes the way we do. Which to me raises the question, talking in general about uh, nature versus the, some kind of human approaches, although we're kind of the same thing at the end of the day, how much of creativity actually is instinct and how much do we deliberately kind of steer and use to create? Because a lot of what we talked about now is instinct. I mean, the animal versus the human being, quote, quote, there's a lot of instinct. I think animals have better instincts and humans can maybe make better conscious decisions and drive things forward. So how much of each side do you think do we bring into being creative? I think with photography, there are a lot of visual instinctive uh, traits about us that, that make us attractive or make us attracted to specific types of subject matter. For example, you know, the way we see, recognize warm and cool colors, you know, those represent things that instinctually have had visual importance to us. You know, red and yellow and orange signify things like food and berries and strawberries and apples and fire. And, and so we're very much attuned to certain types of colors that, that meant something important to us, you know, that, that, that helped us survive out in the world when we were you know, first, first walking around out of the trees. And so we're, I think, I think there's a lot of visual elements about the world that, that instinctively attract us. And even though we're not really thinking about this when we, when we photograph, we, we use those in our creative process. So I think there's a, a definite correlation between our, our natural instincts and the creativity that we put forward our creative ideas. But if, if we look back to the very beginning of the conversation where I asked you how important is creativity in your life, then I think for creative people, a lot of times creating is an instinct. Isn't it then how we handle that or how we uh, use that drive that when we start creating? Like how do we use that power? Isn't that the challenge for us as humans if we want to be creative? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then we, we get so... It, it's such an enormous part of our lives. And then, of course, it becomes an even bigger part of our lives when we have, you know, podcasts and books and blogs and things talking about creativity. And then you have the whole added element of, 
of people struggling with their creativity. Like, oh my God, I, you get this human pressure, this anxiety of, oh my God, I didn't create anything today or I didn't do anything good or this sucks. I just made this and it sucks. What, what is someone else going to think? Uh, they're going to think it's stupid. Oh shit, I didn't do a very good job. What, um, how, how am I going to be more creative next time? And so then you run into these creative blocks and, and, and personal struggles, which only com- complicate the whole mess. So one of the things, um, my background is, is widely varied in addition to photography. And one of the things that um, I spent a lot of time doing was personal work, spiritual work, and working with teachers and so on and so forth. And one of the things that, that was brought up very early on, especially around personal work and getting to know yourself and learning how to deal with the critical voice and how to be able to focus the way you want to is we as humans are innately, as you've pointed out, uh, Jens, that we, you know, it's innate. It's a, it's a thing we're born with. And we, in, we are, in fact, so creative that if you were to harness that energy, it would light up a large city, like one person. <laughs> it's huge. So we can't not create. Therefore, I mean, that's, that's sort of been established. So if we're creating all the time, and if the way the wagon train goes is that you have this creative force and then it is directed by the way we think and feel and that's out of control, <laughs> what are we creating? So that was the, the focus of a lot of the work that I did was how do, how do you clean it up so that what you're creating is more what you love and desire and all this kind of thing. And um, so it was really brought home at that time that, you know, in the old, I don't even know who it was that originally said it, it was a long time ago, but thoughts are things, meaning what you focus on the most and spend the most time dwelling on and put the most energy and feeling into is pretty much what you create. So um, people take umbrage at that because they're like, well, what if something really bad happens? You know, did I create that? And I'm like, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just kind of speaking as a, just a general the way the world works. So like Dan, you mentioned, it gets complicated because, you know, oh my God, this sucked. I don't like what I did. And what is everybody going to think? And I'm horrible. Well, a lot of that is, is our personal work to clean up because if we want to have access and the ability to harness this incredible creative force that works through us every single day. We have a new body every seven years. That's pretty creative. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's a fascinating concept. I know. So imagine these feelings that run through us that we create from these thoughts that give it form. Um, a lot of times I think that's might maybe where some of the work ought to be done to, to learn how to f- let go, learn how to, you know, bust the old, don't take the, the past forward or learn, need, learn what you need to learn or somehow whatever you got to do to let some of this stuff go so that you can think a cleaner thought and focus in a cleaner way without this constant nagging of you suck. That's not good. So-and-so is going to think that's really bad, you know, whatever the litany is. And that is why a lot of the work I'm doing now and even studying and looking at um, the results of the studies of awe, because one of the, one of the things that they're finding about awe and I, and we all know this, if you stop and think about it, you know, this, but now it's quantifiable, is the fact that awe is utterly transformational and shifts you instantly into, into this state where none of that exists. The only thing that's there is this sense of, you know, of openness, of this divine 
thing that's going on where, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And you can't even think a negative thought. That's going to be a really great scientific paper if someone can figure out how to actually spell. <gasps> right? I probably <laughs> will do it. <laughs> Karen brings up a great point here. I, I, what I experience a lot uh, when doing workshops is when people ask, the usual question is, how do I find my style? And then the next question is like, how do you how do you create? And I figured a lot of people would be more creative and if they were more in touch with themselves and free themselves of expectations and, and you know, how they're going to be perceived from the outside. So more likely the answer when somebody asks is how do I get creative is get more in touch with yourself. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. Yeah, the, the expectations thing is huge. And I, I write about that a lot is we are so filled we're so driven by our own expectations of what everyone else is going to think of our work and which translates to what we're going to think we're going to think of our work. And so every time you go shoot photos, you, you build the subject up in your mind, you know, you're going to go on this great trip and you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to go on this great place. I only have one chance to capture all these great iconic scenes. And am I going to be able to do it right? And I better come back with some great photos. My boss is going to think, Oh, you wasted all that time there. You don't have any good pictures and you don't get vacation time next time. And, you know, the bill and the other, the other guy down the cubicle is going to be like, Hey, can I see your pictures? Can I see your pictures? You know, we went there last year. Can I see your pictures? And well, if your pictures aren't as good as bills last year, then, you know, so you, you just build this stuff up in your mind. So your expectations actually put a huge roadblock into the, into the true creative process for you, because we worry, end up worrying too much about, about what we're going to do. And when we get back, did we, did we do it right? And so oftentimes what happens is, when you get back, you don't actually judge and critique the pictures that you shot. You judge and critique the pictures that you hoped you were going to shoot. And that just gets and complicates it enormously. So that's such a good point. And, and I got to say that in the last, I have been speaking at conferences a lot this year and course leading retreats and so on and so forth. And this is like the thing that I focus on, which is how to get people freed up enough to actually create what they want and love and, and desire to create. And what's the, what's the shortcut? So I've been, um, being quite successful at it actually. And in this last conference, I mean, one of my favorite things to do if I'm given a, enough time to do it is in a, and I did this actually at a, um, it was at a camera store actually. And I was given us, um, an hour to do a session on inspiration and creativity at 6 PM after a full day of everyone being, at a, at a, at a camera show, an event where there's just nothing but stimulation. So by six o'clock, everyone's dead. So they walk in. So I knew this was going to be the case. So I went and got a bunch of chocolate <laughs> and gave everybody candy. It's always about chocolate with you, isn't it? What? It's always about chocolate. The creativity always starts I know, with chocolate. Gotta, gotta <laughs> whether it's in your legs right? or whether it's, you see, know. and so, yeah, so I got them. So we did that. Then I said, all right, by the end of this 45 minutes, you're going to create art. And they're looking at me like, I can hardly sit in this chair. I'm about ready to fall over. So I said, don't worry, we're going to do it. And so it was this, you know, kind of nasty little room, the lights bad, and there's really nothing. But I went, I had gone and gathered a bunch of props, you know, just little things, toys and whatnot. And then, you know, you just have these little tasks and exercises. Like the task is make a relationship out of these two objects. And then you go, as soon as you say, how the heck do I do that? Your mind wants to answer the question. Yeah. And so it goes about telling you how to do it. Usually what happens is you're, you're given, you know, you're out there and you're like, I don't know what to do. You know, is this any good? So-and-so does it this way, blah, blah, blah. But if somebody says, here, 
How do you make a relationship out of this? How do you, and then fill in the gap. There's a million exercises you can give yourself. As soon as you ask yourself the question, your mind goes, and or you may go blank because your mind's determined not to know. And then you go, but what if I did know? What if I knew how to do this? What would I do? And then your mind goes, oh, well, if you knew how to do that, you'd do this. And et voila, you've suddenly connected in and away you go. I think it's, it's a super great point, Karen, because I, I tend to repeat that I think at, if you struggle with creativity, then your very basic uh, way to approach it is super simple. It's a chain of yes and no decisions. So creativity in its core to me is binary. You say yes to something or you say no to something. You just have to push yourself to take one decision after the next one and you automatically start creating something. Right. You know, the, one of the basic rules of improv in performing um, you know, improvisation, you go to an improv class, the first thing they teach you is yes and. Because in improv, you're, you're, somebody throws out an idea, usually the teacher says, okay, here's an idea. And then your job as the improv performer person is to take that idea and create something with it. And yeah, there's no, 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 there's no, no. And then you got to toss it to the next person. And if you're the person getting tossed to, and this idea is really bad and you're like, this sucks, there's nothing I can do with it. You can't say no, you have to say yes. And, and then if you want to redirect it, redirect it or do whatever to get it going in a direction you think is better, but you have to say yes. And otherwise the entire creative process crashes and burns. I think that photography is a really challenging thing because it, it, it's very heavy on both left and right, right brain components. And so we have a, a highly technical aspect of photography, which drives a lot of people, um, <clears throat> men. And, <laughs> and, and so we get so enamored in, in gear, gear and technical stuff. Well, what lens should I use? What app should I use? Well, is this, is this camera ISO invariant? Is this how, you know, what, what, what uh, setting should I use? What, you know, how, what's my, you know, all these really technical concepts and and that often gets in the way of people's creativity because they they focus so much on that and and I partly because it's it's an easier tangible thing to think about which lens should I use okay that's an easy question to answer then how am I going to form relationships between these two between these two subjects oh that's a much harder question to answer and so the comfort zone is okay well if I can answer this lens question, that's then I'm not going to be so so freaked out about the whole process. But then, but but that kind of prevents them from from trying to answer the more challenging questions, which ultimately would lead to the more creative results. It's because everything is open. If uh, let me throw a quote in, it's uh, Orson Welles who said, "The enemy of art is the absence of limitation." And I kind of believe in that. That the moment you stop struggling, where you're like, I have a 1000 millimeter lens and my autofocus is going to snap in 0.01 seconds. So I have nothing to worry about. That's actually the moment where you have a lot to worry about because you don't know how to deal with things around you because you think whatever goes will work. And I think that's really killing creativity at the end of the day. Well, the thing about, you know, there, okay, I keep throwing out all these resources. But there's a book called The Tree. And it's by John Fowles, F-O-W-L-E-S, who wrote The French Lieutenant's Woman and Dan I think Daniel Martin and some other famous novels. But he was a naturalist. And, you know, that was kind of like what he did was write novels. Who he was was this naturalist who had this point of view about life and art and how real creativity happens. And that's what the tree is about. And it's 
so amazing. I mean, the language, it's very languagey. So you got to take your time and really think about it, which Jens, you would love. <laughs> um, this is your kind of book. But he talks about technique in a really interesting way, which is, you know, he doesn't, he didn't, none of us will ever say technique is not important. People think that that's what I say, but it's not. What people do, especially men, and you know, photography is dominated by men. And I'm, and I'm not being sexist here. It's just kind of a difference between the hunter gatherer and you know the opposite of that. But um, the thing about technique is, you need it, but it doesn't take long to get it. And then once you have it in acting, we used to say, you know, throw your homework away. We don't really throw it away. You actually just absorb it in a way that it is no longer dictating what you do. It's, it's pretty much second nature. But his point, John Fowle's point is that, um, what technique does, all you can do about, or all you can create with technique leading is a copy, is an imitation of someone else's ideas, someone else's settings. And like you said, Jens, very, um, correctly is that, oh, great. I, I don't have to worry about my exposure because it's super fast. Right. So immediately you drop down into now I'm just some sort of automatonish uh, approach. I just made that word up, but anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like what Yen said about uh, limitation, and you know we often hear the term limitation breeds creativity, and it, and especially when we're struggling, uh, there's the reality is that we have we have an infinite variety of choices every second of our lives that we can possibly make, mm -hmm. and that's overwhelming to most of us. Uh, some of us embrace it and, but a lot of us are really uncomfortable with that notion. And I mean, there's a lot of people who just, they kind of freak out at the notion of, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I have, I have an unending amount of choices right now. Which, which one should I take? Which road should I take? Which, and so when, when it comes to creating something, uh, and, and I'm, I have full knowledge of this and experience because for some reason I'm immune to all of these creative blocks with photography, but I struggle with them greatly in things like music and drawing. And even though I'm a, a good guitar player, I'm, I can play major scales. I can play minor scales. I'm, I'm a very good technical player, but you know, if you ask me to write a song, uh, especially lyrics or something, and so well, what should I write about? Well, what kind of song, what kind of drum beat, what kind of pattern, what, what, what kind of tempo is it slow or fast, major or minor? Uh, what, how should I, what kind of feeling for the song? I just, I, I have those struggles. And so, you know, what, what you were talking about is, is you give those exercises Those you know, okay, today we're going to do this form a relationship between these two subjects. As soon as you break it down and take away a lot of the choices and, yep. and just give someone a limited amount of, of options, that's when it really starts to flow, especially for those people who are more uncomfortable with the infinite amount of variation. Well, I think everybody is at some point uncomfortable with infinite variations. I mean, yeah. the truth of the matter is that um, one of, so there's eight phases to storytelling, uh, classical storytelling, you know, for writing or whatever, you know, and then there's permutations of the rules of storytelling. But the classical form has eight to 10, depending on who you talk to, phases of it one of them is um, limitation is about it happen that a that a good story happens in a confined space. It's not an infinite. It's not infinite. You know, out there somewhere in the galaxy. Even though 
Star Wars started that way. They started that way, and then they ended up on this little planet with this one guy and this, you know, very special story. Right, but but Star Wars is is a perfect example of following, yeah, following the yeah the hero's journey template. Right, but, exactly. But, yeah, it, it contains all these rules, and I will tell you that you know, Jens, you're so comfortable. You know, you're a street photographer, and you guys are really comfortable in cities. Uh, you know, my base is, you know, I'd rather be on a mountaintop by myself, you know, like being one with nature. And if I grew roots and turned into a tree so much the better, you know, that kind of thing. So I go to New York, it's better now, but it used to be I'd go to New York and I would panic. I'd literally have an anxiety attack um, when I tried to take pictures and I'd get so freaked out, I'd just give up and go shopping. <laughs> yeah, everyone has a comfort zone. Yeah, and so what, I, so what I finally did was, and it was so maddening and so frustrating, and then, of course, I start feeling bad about myself, and like I suck, and I'm a professional photographer, so what the hell? What is wrong with you, everybody? You know, and I'm good friends with Valerie Jardin, and she's like, oh, my God, I just do what I like, and I just shoot, and I'm like, I hate you. Get away from me. <laughs> and um, even though I absolutely adore her, it's, you know, it's just that whoever can do it sucks, and I suck worse because I can't. So what I did one day was I went, all right, you know, New York, you are not going to slay me. <laughs> and I shook my fist to the heavens and I took my camera and I put on a 23, I, I shoot Fujifilm and um, with good reason. And I put on a 23 millimeter lens that I have a 1.4, not the point, you know, not the two. I have a 1.4. I said, okay, New York, you are now my biatch and I'm going to hit you <laughs> with my 23 millimeter lens on 1.4, nothing else. I'm not changing aperture. I'm not changing depth of field. Whatever looks good at that is mine. And that I finally, that day I conquered it. But that was the limit. That was what it took. That was the limitation that it took. Yeah, you need to give yourself templates to work with. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it's, it's the right yeah. way to go. I just want to quickly pick up what you mentioned is I do feel comfortable like uh, Valerie does as well in inner cities. But when you go to the mountaintop and I stand at Times Square, I believe that in the core, we have the same feeling. We're just at the place where we feel good about ourselves and where we can execute without limitations. And that's where we need to go to be effective. Right. And everybody, you know, the big question for everyone. So one of the rules in downhill skiing, for me, my best uh, coach said, you know, you're a good skier because I skied at Squaw Valley, which, are, which is a, you know, challenging mountain. And he said, you're a good skier when you can ski anywhere, anytime, under any condition. He goes, you don't have to do it perfectly. It doesn't have to be fast. You just have to be able to do it and handle yourself. So I've always applied that to everything I've ever done, including photography, which is why it was important for me to figure out, you know, New York was my Achilles heel. And so it was important to me to figure out, well, how do you conquer that so that you can feel just like what you said in the middle of New York at Times Square or on the mountaintop? And it's different, you know, different environments offer different things. So understanding yourself, I always say, photographer, know thyself, understanding what it takes to get yourself to the still point, no matter where you are, under any condition, that that's the key to being able to unleash your art wherever you are. You know, every, everybody has, a, a, like you were saying, a, a, everybody has a, a, a different comfort zone. And that's because everybody's a different person. We all have different experiences in life that have brought us to this point. And, and some people are more comfortable in urban environments. Some people are more comfortable in, in nature. Some people are more comfortable shooting in the studio. Some people are more comfortable shooting macro in nature. Uh, some people are more comfortable shooting landscapes. It's just, 
you know, it, it, everybody has their own experiences, which, which allow us to be comfortable in any given situation. And so, and so trying to, yeah, so trying to break out of that, that's where the fear comes. Right. And so therefore, part of what I teach in every single retreat, you've seen it, is um, how to ground and focus and be present in your body in the still point before you even pick up your camera. Because I come from performing arts, you know, I mean, I was a photographer from the get go. um, And I was studying to be a professional photographer in junior college when I was really young. And but the darkroom chemicals made me so sick, I had to put that aside for a number of years and never stopped taking photos. But I couldn't develop my own work until digital came of age. So there's this whole period in between. And I had a long list of things I wanted to do. And some of them had to be done while I was young. So I dug in, even though I was devastated at not being able to do photography, I was a figure skater and a dancer and I trained horses and, you know, singer, actor, everything taught all those things. And, um, you know, one of the things in all of those, all sports, all performing arts, all those people have a preparation, have a thing they do to get them in the zone, because in the zone is where they can produce whatever it is they do, whether it's an art or a sport or whatever. There's a there's a peak performance place. And um, and if you don't know how to prepare, because you can be the best at whatever you do, but the minute you have stress, and I, I taught voice for 25 years to t- t- um, TV news broadcasters, and I'm like, I can teach you how to do the perfect voice. But the minute you get stressed by a deadline, you're not feeling well, somebody says something crappy to you right before you go on air, the minute one of those stressors hits, away goes all that training. Your voice is going to tighten up. And the same thing, athletes know that too, especially the higher up the ranks you go, the more stress there is. So that you got to have really good tools to put you in the zone that you've worked on. It's like a muscle. You got to develop it over time. You can't just kind of go, oh, there was a thing I was supposed to do before I stepped out here and then have a practice around that. And nobody in photography is taught that, which is why I teach all my students that. Um, and that helps get them there too. Right. And, and the photography is tricky because in some ways it's a really easy thing to get into because you buy a camera and the camera has all the technology and all you have to do is point it at something and, and press the button. Whereas say if you are a painter, it takes years of training to learn the techniques of different brushes and different, different types of medium. And so this is what Jens and I were talking about last time is, is on one hand, the camera is easy because all you're doing is looking at what already exists and just rearranging it in your viewfinder and is, and how much creativity is involved there. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost cheating because it's like, well, that's already out there. All I'm doing is just looking at it and, and taking a picture and moving my body and using a different lens. Is that really, is that really doing anything, you know, magnificently creative? And so Jens brought up the notion that you know, since we're, uh, we're going back and forth between music because we're both, you know, uh, audio engineers. And so we're going back and forth between the notion of, you know, just arranging stuff in the viewfinder photography and then versus the guy who's, who's sampling different pieces of music that already exist, but arranging those into different compositions. And that's, that's viably creative. I think both is, is, is very creative at the end of the day. I think when I listen to both of you, I think what we have to also talk about is, is a failure and, and the process because 
picking up what you said earlier dan is if you come back from your holidays and you wonder if your pictures are better than those from ben in the box down the hallway that i don't think that's the right train of thought you should think where am i am i in my photography and if i failed with something it actually just teaches me to go ahead because whatever you did in your life karen i'm sure you failed in every single discipline multiple times until oh you God. actually succeeded so this notion of everything has to be perfect at the first time you do it everything has to work everything has to be compared immediately to others i think this kills creativity right and i think that the the trap that, that so many people fall into i mean we all fall into it is that we equate creativity with an end product you know i i was doing this creative thing and i better get this great thing at the end of it but that's not how you should think about creativity it's a process it's just a human quality it's just a, an inherent human activity that we all do and sometimes, sometimes it leads to a great product. Sometimes it might lead to a really cool product. Most of the time, it may not even lead to a product. It's just a way of approaching the world and a way of thinking on a daily basis or a regular basis is to, to be creative, to exercise the creative aspects of our mind. And, and, and so as a photographer or an artist, to just go out and do what you do with the camera and enjoy the process and don't worry about the possible end results that might ensue from this process. And if you get something that's great, then, hey, you, you, that's kind of an added bonus. But, but you should love just being out there standing on the top of the mountain or standing in Times Square. You should just love being there with your camera, whether you're going to end up getting a great photo or not. So you embody that process and like you say dan you've that's not where you have trouble you have your issues elsewhere so if i said to you in your music when you're having a block don't worry about the end product don't worry about it just don't worry about it does that help you uh i i find that that it, it is very easy for me to just sit and play and enjoy playing it's when i when i bring in that well i should i should write a song now i should come up with something i've been playing for so long it's when those thoughts start to scrape in. But if I just sit and play, I can just play for hours without thinking about that. But yeah, it's when those thoughts come in that I need to, I need to actually come up with a finished product to justify my playing that I just didn't work for an hour. I didn't write another blog post. I just sit in on my backyard and play guitar. What, what do I have to show for it? So, so the way I think sometimes I'm just kind of shortening this cause I know we're not going to be here forever is, is, I mean, I think that's valid and well put, um, but I would, but I also would entertain the idea that, you know, the more ability you have, you know, it's easy just to not worry. But I know a lot of people and women, especially when you say don't worry, they just want to slug you because how the F do I not worry like that? As soon as I try, you know, lift up my camera, all these voices happen. So we go back to the limitation. We go back to grounding and focusing. We go back to having tools. Like I'm, I, I sit here and I talk about this stuff. I'm not talking about it because I'm perfect and I've got it handled and I never have to worry about it. I talk about it because I have to do this every single day. Because if I don't, you know, my mind will eat me alive and because it, I, I mean, I have to train it all the time because it is very imaginative and it has a long history of beating the crap out of myself. Um, Maya Angelou says about that. She says, um, I'm very concerned about what Maya thinks about Maya. 
because she knows that what she's thinking about herself is going to directly affect how she's able to create and, and write books and poems and, you know, come out with stuff. Cause you know, we all have to come out with products, especially if you're professional, you gotta, you know, I gotta submit five photos of blah, blah, blah. But so how so the question becomes, how do you have a process because it doesn't just happen by itself? How do you have a process that allows you to both come up with a quantifiable end and do it in a way that is artistic and free yet still directed? I have to do it all the time for voiceover because I have a script and I have a client and they want to hear a certain thing. Yet the reason they hired me is because I'm going to bring this special thing that only I can bring to this piece of copy. It's a weird, it's a weird like celebrity voice, like a way of really bringing it that I think we all as artists need to be able to do. So having tools, whether it's creating limitations, whether it's an inner process of getting to the still point of purposely seeking awe in every moment or whatever it is, we owe it to ourselves as artists to have something and to practice it every day. Well, right. And, that's, and, and those, those templates and those, those exercises, exercises and those, those practices that help get you in the zone and help take your mind off of the worrisome stuff and take and suddenly get you focused on, Oh, well, how, I've got these two things. How am I going to form a relationship between these two things? Yeah. That, that gets you away from, from, yeah. But I also think, I also think people don't always understand that nature abhors a vacuum. So you can't just not think about something. You have to actually replace it with something that's cooler. Well, that's what I'm saying. You redirect your, you redirect yeah. that towards, oh, I've got these two things. How am I going to show these two things? So from a guitar, from a musical standpoint, I mean, part of the reason I, I, I've been playing for so long that it's easy for me to just play a lot of different material without, without quote, worrying about it. But if I was just starting out, my template might be, well, I'm going to try to play major scales today and I'm going to play it 20 times and I'm going to try to get it, you know, where I can get good intervals between each one and have a clear sound between each note. And then I'm going to play, I'm going to, I'm going to just play these three chords. So you start off by giving same, the same limitations, the same things to take your mind off. Oh my God, there's all these strings, there's all these frets and, and, and there's all these, you know, pickups and, and whammy bars and, and, you know, this distortion what am I going to do? It's just noise. So yeah, you give yourself these templates, these ideas that help redirect all those anxieties and all those thoughts towards what is it that I'm going to do? I'm going to look for a relationship with only one lens and one aperture right now. And then it turns into fun. Then it becomes literally like child's play. And you're oh yeah, then it's a puzzle. And then it's just you're suddenly you once you just end up diving in, and and that's that's where you are suddenly find yourself in the zone because. An hour later, two hours later, you're you're like, oh wait, did really? I've been doing this for two hours, and and that, yeah, exactly. And you can have that. Like that isn't some exalted state. You can you can literally set yourself up to have that every time you work. And by the way, so since we're talking about that, you know what I think you should do, Dan? I think you should write a song about this podcast about the subject of limitation and the freedom that it gives you. And and write us a song, not this minute, but I think that's what you should do. Okay, I just I just wrote down the word limitation. I would ask is 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 the word limitation? Can we not replace it with vision and concept? Meaning, before you go into action, you just have to put this hurdle in where I say I'm going to reflect on what I'm going to be creative with today. Well, I think you can. I mean, I think vision is is another thing, though. I think limitation is you could say confine confinement. You can say um, 
what's the other word that starts with a D that's like confinement, um, you know, like a distinct space, you can call it that. It's, it's, a, it's a feature that you can't replace it with anything else. You can have a vision, but in order to create the vision, it has to happen within a specific uh, place with specific um, bounds. But if we didn't have bones, we would just be this pile of mush on the ground, <laughs> right? That's all we're talking about is, is have, having bones that give something structure. That's all we're talking about. Now, vision is a, an important concept because it, it, it is vital to creativity because that, that determines what you're going to do. And so when you're standing in Times Square or when you're standing on the mountain or when you're standing in front of a, about a hundred bike riders coming towards you really quickly, you go, how am I going to do this? What, what is it that I want to show? What, how do I want to reproduce this scene? What ideas am I trying to get across? Where's the and story? So, yeah, where's, where's the story? Yeah. And so that's separate from the limit. The limitation helps you. I, I, I think the limitation helps you, uh, accomplish that in terms of, you know, as we said, getting into the zone, getting, you know, helping yourself not be so overwhelmed, but if, but it, it helps, it's vital to have an idea of what you're trying to do. Heck yeah. So all the limitation is, is one of the tools, one of the many tools for getting there. We just grabbed it because it's, I don't know why we did that, but we grabbed it. There's many others, but that's yeah, one. Yeah. Templates, tools, you know, mm -hmm. anything that, that just helps you focus on, the, the, the state of, and it's, and you know, and you know, you've hit it when you relax and start having fun. People go, well, how much limitation and how long do I do it? And what is it about limitation? I'm like, you just do enough so that it frees you to where you're not thinking about it anymore. And you're just having fun in that space that you created. Yeah. I, I, I I'm often a challenge for people who, who ask me, well, how long is that going to take? What, when are you going to be done? And most of the things I do in life uh, are not based on how long they're going to take. I know. It's fun to take people out. Like I, at this conference that I just came back from, I took, um, we did a photo walk, an hour photo walk, and most everybody had been to one of my talks or the pre-con workshop or whatever. And they came out like, it's funny because photographers show up for a photo walk and they're ready to take pictures. They're like, ooh, they have this energy and they're ready to go. And so the first thing I do is go, can you feel your feet? Can you feel your legs? Like, where are you physically? Because those of you who heard me talk know why this is important. Okay. And then we move so slowly and deliberately and so creatively. And we don't cover, we didn't, at least in this one, we didn't cover that much ground. And at the end, they were all like, well, first of all, they were all so much more relaxed and smiling and at ease with themselves and with the process. And they all went, oh my God, I never thought to go at it like this. And we didn't, they said, I thought we were going to cover a lot more space and yet we covered so much. And now I know how to approach whatever comes next. And I'm like, they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I just used what you have innately in your favor, just kind of threw it in front of you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice when you have a chance to work with people directly to lead them through a process like that, because it, all it is, is, leading them to something they in innately know. And once that part wakes up and takes over, your work is done. Yeah. And, and I, I, having taught with Karen, I, I see, I've seen this and I often her style, the initial throws will, will kind of get people, uh, it often makes people, yeah, they kind of confuses people. And sometimes I've seen people feel a little uncomfortable, like, Oh wait, I, I, maybe I, this isn't the one for me. Maybe I was, maybe I should have been in the other class. You know what, what I, and, but by the end of it, 
they've really broken through and, and they, it's, yeah, she's really effective at, at, at getting that, getting that kind of message and feeling across to people. I like it when people are confused at first because confusion is um, what stops people in their tracks. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 really cool to see that because that's what and, gets people's attention. Right, and it isn't it isn't like playing a trick on them. It's it's simply, um, and I'm not trying to create confusion. I just happen to know this approach does because there's so much inundation over a different way. But that sometimes when you're confused and a little uncomfortable, do you think art is comfortable? Do you think creating something original that you don't think anybody else has ever done that is part of the heart and soul of who you are? Do you think that's comfortable? No. Well, and, and then there's and there's a lot of art that viewing it is specifically designed to make the viewer uncomfortable. Well, yeah, there's that too. But mostly, yeah. we're trying to create something you know beautiful or thought provoking or that you know that feels halfway good. And you're right, there is. Well, art we like are, that. but there's a lot of photographers who's who's are very much into you know tackling difficult issues and making the viewer right. uncomfortable. So this true. I don't know if it has to, it has to feel good. It has to trigger an emotion on on your side as the viewer. Well, the thing is, what I always what I always tell my people and the people that I talk to too is your job. Well, first of all, is to create something you love, whatever that is. And I and then pe the next question is, well, how do I know if it's any good? And what if nobody wants to see it? And I said, the second you put enough thought into it, and you you know, like I give them all the different tools and templates and whatever. And I said, the minute you apply these in such a way that the viewer stops and goes, what? Or yep. why'd she do that? Or exactly. what's what's in there? Or what I said, what, whatever it is, as soon as the imagination is caught and goes, um, I'm trying to explain this to myself now, you got them. That's all you have to do. Yeah, I've often, I've often said that as soon as you, as soon as you bring the viewer into engage their brains and bring them into the, the, situation of it as soon as you bring your viewer into the imagination i'm totally fumbling my words as soon as, you, as soon as you engage the viewer's brain and make them an active part of the process uh then you've you've got them then you've made a successful photo well yeah and it's, as soon as they ask a question as soon as they have a, as soon as there's a question in the mind you know you've done yeah. that and and that's that's where you know as we kind of said in the beginning human creativity started because people learned how to express ideas or solve, or solve a problem. problem. But when we talk about uh, things, art that has to do with, uh, creativity has to do with you know, songs, poems, music, uh, images, paintings, it's communicating ideas to people. And so part of the process is the actual communication on the other end that's being received. And the thing is, you know, when I was coaching voice all those years and a lot of the people I taught, um, you know, they had to shoot stories and pre-record it or do live television where they were not, you know, they were just speaking to the camera one way. And the thing that I always had to get across to them is even if you're in a monologue, even if you're in a position where it's a, it, you're doing all the talking or creating, it's a two-way conversation. It, you have to listen. And that means listen to yourself, listen to your vision, listen to your inner voice, listen to, you know, yourself, but also listen to sometimes I imagine I step out and I imagine another person looking not from the point of view, will they like it, but I try to imagine being somebody else and, and does it capture my imagination? Does it make me ask a question or wonder? Um, so I'm always in this sort of floaty state of wonder when I'm in my creative mode because I'm trying to listen. 
both ways. It's a two-way conversation, not a one-way conversation. I saw Karen teach in New York, and, and I think we had a short chat after, after you've been teaching. And I said, I had the feeling that you lost about 50% of the crowd within the first 30 minutes, and then you win them back again. But the point is that what this does is you explain them creativity, and it kind of, quote, quote, forces people to start listening to themselves. Now, a lot of people do not listen to themselves as a general principle in life. So, I mean, they block themselves from being creative at the end of the day. And photography especially, you can take painting or any creative uh, measures, but photography, if you take the camera, there is nothing there. If you don't give anything into that, if you don't add personality or what I call vision or we call creativity, there's going to be nothing of relevance produced. Right. It's like being, it's like speaking in elevator music. Yeah. You know, if, and, and a lot of people do it because they don't know what else to do or they're afraid to feel or they're afraid to go deep enough. And, you know, yeah, I know you are. You're, you're very closed off, Dan, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you later about that. Um, but, you know, Jens, when you saw me, I'm afraid to I, feel. that was um, sort of in the first, uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say, like quarter quadrant of starting to figure out how to present these things in a way that was palatable. Now, you know what I do now? Now I go, okay, I'm up here to talk to you about art, creating art and inspiration. Um I just want to let you know, going in, I can't actually teach you how to do that. So if, if that's what you're looking for, you should probably leave now. Um, what I can do is show you ways to think, a way to be, and a way to sort of like have ideas that maybe will enable you to position yourself in the field um, that might stand under the cloud of inspiration that will rain down magic and awe on you, maybe. And I'm with you on that. I, I tell the people in workshops at the end, I always, they ask like, how do I develop? How do I find subjects and stuff like that? So I always tell them, listen to yourself. You have something in you that drives you, that is so dear to you as, a, as an emotion or as a subject, that if you dig into it and you listen, you will find a way to, to, to transfer that into, in this case, photography or any other creative form to express it. It's so true, but I mean, God, that skill and that ability gets so beaten out of us growing up. And a lot of times people pick up a camera and they get so excited, but then they think, okay, I have to learn technique instead of being excited. I got to bury this, you know, childlike glee because now I've got to be an authority about my settings. That's what I see happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, that's one of the approaches that I've uh, taken when I'm teaching lately is, is to ask people what is it that you're afraid of? Because what I, what I'm seeing is there's a lot of people who are, who are very much wrapped into what they've been told that they need to do by the big names. You know, there's a few really big prominent teachers out there who have, I mean, they're, they're fantastic photographers and they're, and they're good teachers, but the message that seems to come across to a lot of people is, well, this is what I should be doing. And so that that suddenly there, whether it's, well, I can only slide this slider so much and I can't, I have to sharpen this much, or I can, I shouldn't never use this aperture because it won't be sharp enough. And I can only use this kind of lens with this kind of subject. And so I'm, I'm trying to untangle people from these, from these, what they need to do isms. And, and, and that, and, and a large part is, you know, as you're learning, you, you get these, you get, you get this education, but inherently we all have some kind of, we all have some creative insecurities and so we, we turn to what we've been told to do. 
And so I've been trying to ask people, you know, and, and trying to get across the point is it's, it's pictures. What are you afraid of? It's, it's your own ideas. You know, what, what is it that you're afraid you're going to miss if you didn't use this right lens or didn't? Well, you know, it's such a good point you're making. And, but the truth of the matter is that the, the learning curve is not a smooth um, thing. And, and I always, of course, I always use these analogies from outside of photography because I think they're really useful. But when I was learning to sing, um, a lot of people, you know, they have their favorite singer. So, like, let's pretend for a second, you know, you love but you're a female singer and you love Barbara Streisand, you know, when she was like super hot and you had a voice similar to hers and you're like, God, I love Barbara Streisand. So you're learning how to, and you learn how to use your voice and all that. Now you're starting to put it into songs and phrasing, because as you know, Dan, there's a lot about phrasing and breath and where you, how you end notes and start notes and where you put the pressure on your voice and so on and so forth. And Barbara Streisand had a very distinctive way of doing that. And I know a lot of singers used to imitate her um, and they would imitate it. And some of them would get past that and some of them would continue. But I always, I was taught and I really think this is a valid point that you learn at a certain stage, like this might be the mid stage, right? And you know, you're past, I got the basic tools. Now I'm trying to learn how to apply it. Who do I admire? This person. Okay, so now you're applying these tools, and now the singer is phrasing everything like Barbara Streisand until they can go, I see how she does it. Oh, I never thought of doing that. Oh, she does. Okay, got it. I never, it just like it totally puts you in a space of, okay, I, I never thought of doing that. Let me try, you, let me take that idea and, and use it my way. See if I can create my own not version of that, but my own way of implementing what I just learned from her in my way. That it to me is like the next level. And, and I think people in that, it's like crossing cell phone zones, right? Your phone signal drops and then some people never get their cell signal back um, or, you know, whatever. But the ideal is that it, it happens fairly seamlessly or it only drops out for a second. And then you're back on the new, um, what you want to call it, frequency or new cell tower. So, now you're on this new scale of taking those tools instead of copying them and applying them the same way, you integrate them in your vision, you know, and that's how we learn from each other. Imitation is a huge part of learning on a creative process. And, and yeah, but you got to take it and then spin it a new way. Yeah. And I actually, I, I heard uh, uh, Getty Lee from Van Rush was interviewed on a podcast recently and they asked him, you know, what, what are some of the what what allowed you guys to be so original and come up with all this great music and and one of the things that he said was was vital to what he felt led them in that direction was failed imitation so we all try to be like our idols but at some point we're not the same people so inherently we are going to break away and, and 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 take it down our own path whether we're trying to or not and then the other things he said were have have self have confidence to go down those paths and right. trust and trust your subconscious You'll get your own ideas and trust those ideas instead of going, oh, well, this isn't like what we were trying to do. So uh, we, we thought we were going to do something different. But, you know, if the guy says, you know, if you, if you say, hey, I got this riff, I, look at this style I just came up with or look at the way I'm approaching with this lens and, wow, look what 1.4 does. I've never thought of using it like this. You trust trust that subconscious. Trust your creative ideas. There's a great uh, historical reference we can throw in here. And don't pin me down on the details. If anybody wants to know the exact details, you can look it up on Wikipedia. But the first exhibition that uh, Picasso ever did, 
was in Paris. And it, it, it consisted of, I think, uh, somewhere between 20 or 30 perfect replicas of works of other artists in different genres. So he made an exhibition in perfectly copying his masters. And that's all he could do at that point in time. If that would have been it, we never know Picasso as we know him today. And then, as the story goes, a friend of himself uh, committed suicide. And it threw him in such an emotional crisis that he scrambled everything he did, but he reused all the skills he learned and then developed his own style driven by the emotion of the the accident in that moment there you go yeah i mean that's it you you imitate so you can learn those skills and see how they can be applied and how they've been applied by people who who have the experience and that ties right into the whole idea of living your life as if it were an art which is not so easy to do i mean generally what we talked about i mean when you teach creativity it's it's very difficult to explain to somebody that maybe you are out of touch with yourself because i'm sure you guys would agree one of the most scariest things in life is to get back in touch with yourself once you've been out of touch with yourself i mean i've been there to a degree and that's not a funny process we, we we've all been indoctrinated to to do things by the experts and, you know, we should do it this way. We should do it this way. Uh, I, I, that's a hard thing for people to break out of sometimes. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's less about imitation, I think, and more about rules. The expert told me I need to do it this way. And, and then you add in, well, if I don't do it this way, the guy in the forum is going to make fun of me. You know, he's going to be laugh at me and troll me. Right. You know, if I post this picture. Oh God, the stakes have really gone up with social media. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. if I and I might not get very many likes on this picture, and I mean the next act, it's just that's too much to think about, and so I better follow these rules. And so that's where I'm trying to ask people what what really is it that you're afraid of? It's no one's life is at stake here, as far as I know. It's it's you and your creativity. You're your own person. You have your own experiences, your own ideas about what you're trying to show. And if you like what you see in the viewfinder, then that's all that matters. Be happy about that. That's if you're happy with what you see in the viewfinder and what you got when you find, you know, press the shutter. If it if it excites you, that's the most important thing. Fully agree. And that's a hard part. That that's yeah. So breaking out of those once you get away from those rules, you can really expand on. Well, so and so might never do this because this breaks these rules. But look what I just got. I'm happy with this picture. You know, my histogram might be blown and and maybe it's not it's blurry in some areas. And, you know, maybe, the, you know, for whatever reason, the composition isn't, oh, I didn't use the rule of thirds. The subject's way over here in the corner. But if ultimately the picture visually excites you and emotionally excites your senses, then you're on the right path and that's you're doing the right thing. And you should not care what anybody thinks about what you do because it's yours. Well, we should all we should all worry about what Karen thinks of us. Of course, yeah, that's super important. Well, okay, thank you, thank you for putting that <laughs> in proper perspective. <laughs> well, guys, I mean, we're slowly closing in to the end of the podcast. I, I would like to ask you for for those who are listening now, if because we're all talking from a point of view with a bit of experience, we're trying to share that. Now, if I just bought my camera yesterday and I understand everything we just talked about and I want to advance. Help me out. I'm fresh. I'm, I'm, I just bought a camera. I want to become creative in photography. Give me a way to go forward. Uh, I think those templates are a good idea, and those and coming up with with limitations that that are less about limitation, but 
but about focusing your creative challenges. And maybe that's a good way to think about creative challenges. I'm going to go focus on relationships today. I'm going to go focus on, um, you know, patterns. Very, very, yeah, patterns of creating very simple compositions. I'm going to show, put one thing in my viewfinder. I'm going to put one piece of subject matter in my viewfinder and nothing else. And I'm going to try to show that in a compelling way. Or I'm going to focus entirely on light today. You know, yeah. So give creative challenges. Uh, I think that's that's a good way. And and as you, yeah, as you look through the viewfinder, and even if you're not snapping photos, just getting used to looking at the way the camera sees the world and getting to used to the way different lenses see the world. I think that's a big one. I also think that if you're really really new and you're trying you're trying to get demystified about settings and stuff like that, I think it's more fun to throw it in auto and just go and do what you just said, Dan, do, you know, do it in auto. And then based on, you know, your results and what you like and what you start discovering that you love and want to focus on more, then let the way you want to tell that story or how you want to show that subject determine what you learn next, as opposed to, I have to learn everything about this camera. I have to learn the, you know, theory of thirds or whatever it is. I think, um, the theory of thirds, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I know. I, the rule of I like to see. See, to me, it's not a rule because I, I chafe at rules and I can never remember that. Well, yeah. But theories, theories are meant to be disproven, so I can roll with that. And, and rules are for people who think they need to follow rules, which I'm clearly not that person. So Exactly. But I think that's a great way to start and, and to um, explore, you know, and like to realize that most of your, your images are – exploring and they're mostly going to be sketches they're going to just be ideas that you're sort of sketching and trying to see how it looks on paper and kind of like you know experimenting because that that opens it up but you're right making it really specific like one subject like patterns just do patterns shadows just do shadows you know uh trees just do a piece of the tree you know the dog do his foot and a lot of times I hear people, well, I don't really have a style. I'm not really sure what to shoot. Well, you, what excites you about life? What, where do you like to be? What, what do you like to do? That's, that's yeah. bring the camera into those situations. Think, worry, think, think less about what you should be shooting and think about where you like to be and what excites you in life. And as soon as you bring the, bring the camera to that equation, yeah. When I got back into photography and got the digital camera and I had to get like my old knowledge up to date and then learn new stuff. I just sat there and shot stuff in the house, in the kitchen and <laughs> in the bathroom, whatever, wherever, just to see what does this lens do? What does that do? What does that do? Oh yeah. I've shot so many pictures of sitting in uh, of traffic and, and just practicing autofocus techniques, you know, with oncoming traffic and, and just stuff in the house. Yeah. Well, my two cents is just do it and don't think about what others think. Because I, I can tell you guys, I mean, when I started photography, the first two years where I showed my pictures to nobody, they were the most magical ones because I was just doing. I didn't think about what people were thinking about it. If it was good, if it was not good, I was purely enjoying it. And I still pulled the most uh, inspiration and power from, from kind of that time. And I'm trying to retreat to that again for a while, just to, to feel that magic again. Can I make a request of all of us, myself included, those of us who are in a, in a position to give any kind of advice? Let's all stop saying, don't focus on that. Hmm. Because that's what people hear is, you know, they don't hear don't, they hear focus on that. So instead, say what to do. Oh, yeah. 
so that that's the last thing. And we know that, but I swear to God, I've heard all of us in this conversation alone say, don't think about that. And it's like, well, instead, if you're going to have a conversation, say typically what happens is people will focus on this and that, and that's not so good because that results in this. So what we want to do as an antidote to that is this thing over here. But I think a lot of times we speak in shorthand and out of habit and we say, don't do this. And I don't think that's helpful because I think that thought form gets, gets out there. Yeah. It would, it would be like a self-help book where the chapter opening says, get past your issues. <laughs> right. Like that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Don't worry. Don't worry about what other people think. That's one. I mean, I can't tell you when I sit and speak to a group of people and I say, how many times have any of you heard? And I always, you know, raise my hand. Cause I say, raise your hand. If you've ever heard this, don't worry about you know, whatever it is we happen to be talking about. And they all raise their hands. And I'm, and I said, and how helpful is that? And they all roll their eyes and laugh because it's not helpful. Instead, to understand something, you explain it. But then if you're going to say what to do, say what to do. I'm saying that for myself too, because that's a habit yeah, I'm great. I have that habit as well. Um, we all do. And I just am kind of putting it out there. And for anybody listening, um, here's what to, here's what to do. Immerse yourself in the process with with, yeah. with joy and exhilaration and, and the freedom to throw your watch away and don't and and do it until you feel you're done and not you know and whether do it's it any amount of time feel, has passed or like yeah. do it until you feel you're done and you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, let me let me rephrase what I said before. I, I would then advise to create a space where all that matters is what you want to do, what you want to express. Give yourself the time to do it, and then just you know go out once you feel like you want to show it to somebody. But create that space for yourself where you can just play and enjoy yourself. Ah, oh. yeah, that's an important word. Is play is 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 it's just pictures. It's fun. It should be about playing and enjoying yourself. I love that. And so so play by playing, and that's yeah, that's a good way to end it. The word play the last question i want to know from you is when was the last time you've been because we talked about awe a lot during this podcast so i want to know when was the last time and what was it that put you in a state of awe in relation to creativity what have you seen what have you experienced that made you truly go wow uh so i i went to um i, I was in seattle this weekend last weekend doing a, a class and photo walk uh but during beforehand, I hung out with my friend Victor, who's he's one of the Fujifilm reps, but he's a guitar player just like me, and we grew up on the same brand of rock and roll. And and so we were watching, we were totally geeking out on guitars and watching videos of how some of there's some there's some YouTube videos of engineers kind of breaking down how some of these you know iconic rock and roll songs were created, you know, breaking down the track. So here's what he played, you know, here's the the lead part, here's here's the here's what the bass player played, here the Here's how the drummer came in. Here's the 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 riff he played in the solo, and the chorus, and so we're you know listening to these things and and it just it blew both of our minds you know because these were our heroes you know our hero guitar players oh my god he came up with that how, how would he come up with that I never would have thought to use that and then when you put it all together you have this song that's just pure magic yeah everything exists in context what about you Karen when was the last time you stood there and were like wow so two diametrically opposite one was in the dolomites of italy during my retreat of a few weeks ago standing there in wild nature and the presence that was there just i i, I mean words it was awe it was transformational it was 
life altering. It was, you know, reality shifting, unbelievable. And the other was speaking at this conference in an air conditioned room under the most unlikely circumstances and experiencing the shift and the aha of people understanding all of a sudden what art was. Every time I fly over the glaciers or the mountains in my little plane and I'm seeing this magical light, I'm like, I can't believe they let you do this. And that's that's the awe of, of just being, yeah, in these magical places in nature. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and I have a camera too while I'm doing it, but that's not even sort of, that's not even the point of of being in awe. It's It's just being there experiencing this stuff that, it, it's kind of funny because it's just a natural occurrence that every day the light's going to refract through the atmosphere and, and cast a, a, a warm glow and hit a certain spectrum, uh, react with our eyes. Um, but we seem to resonate with that and think it's really cool. And that's just the human experience. It's interesting how the smallest of things or like just the most, how you say, self-explanatory things that are just there can actually inspire you a long way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just every single day the sun refracts through the atmosphere and hits a certain frequency. And, and yet we think it's really amazing. Imagine that. I mean, we're kind of closing into the end. And uh, it's been an amazing talk with you guys about creativity. My concern is that we could easily go ahead and make a part two out of this. We might will at some point. Because uh, I think. Yeah, I'm all for it. Me too. Great. So we'll pick that up at a later point of time. Uh, so thank you very much for joining the Fuji Love podcast. And thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and your experiences when it comes to creativity. Yeah, thanks for having us both. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. You guys are both so great. Thanks for having me on board and uh, live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you for checking in and listening to the Fujilove.com podcast. Check out Fujilove.com where we live and breathe all things Fujifilm and photography with Fujifilm cameras. <laughs>